0: I think I always wanted to keep up. I'm the youngest of six kids. I had two older brothers that were super athletic and played football. They really wanted me to be a boy. And um, one of my sisters was a runner and I used to beg her to go running with her. I used to beg her. I was like a dog. She would leave, I'd sit at the window and watch her go over the hills until she came back. And I would and I would tell her, I, I, I can keep up, I won't stop. I mean, I was really young, there's no
1: way. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 17 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I had such a blast sitting down with my guest, Laura Swenson from Tucson, Arizona this week. Laura's been in the fitness industry since around the age of 20, where she got involved with personal training and working one-on-one with clients to help them achieve their goals. And she's got such a positive attitude and brings so much enthusiasm to life that she's uh, had relationships with uh, some of her top clients for as long as 15 years, which is no surprise. I think you'll pick up on her energy right away from our conversation. She's the youngest of six, and like most kids in a larger family, was extremely active, played a lot of sports, was out there running around all day, and just waiting for that day when she get old enough to uh, join up with some of her siblings. She told, tells a funny story there about Uh, trying to get her older sister to let her tag along on some of their long runs when she was very young. But I think the desire for her to get out there and get involved with running was always there. And serendipitously, she uh, met Pam Reed in the fitness industry, who had a big impact on um, Laura and influenced her greatly. Uh, Pam was a tremendous uh, legend in the ultra running community, winning the Badwater Ultra. Uh, marathon one year, beating uh, not only all the women, but all the men as well. Um, Considered to be one of the toughest of all the ultras with the heat, the time of the year it's run, and the difficulty of the course. So Um, I think the seed was planted for her and working in the fitness industry for all those years and being active and being fit. um, Once her kids grew up a little bit, she's got three children, um, she decided it was time to get involved with marathoning. And from 2001 to 2013, she actually rocked 47 marathons. So she's put together a pretty impressive running resume (laughs) to that point and then decided to dip her toe in the water of Ultra in 2013. And that's, I believe, uh, where she certainly found her true love. Um, she's just really doing some remarkable stuff in Ultra. And clearly that's her her real passion is found there, you know, being out on these longer runs in the mountains, in the desert, uh, out there, you know, connecting, you know with with the land and the earth and um, just nature just very different style of running than we're used to in road marathoning. And I really enjoyed her stories of having her mom and children out there with her at some of these races. And she actually won her first 50K uh, outright. She was the women's uh, race winner overall. She told some great stories. I enjoyed them so much. And um, I I think um, you're all going to enjoy them every bit as much too. And I'll make sure we link up to a blog post for her on some interesting uh, approaches to training for ultra, how they're different versus marathon, how to fuel, um, you know, what sort of runs do you need to do? What length do you need to do? What sort of technical equipment do you need? And I think all of that will be um, super interesting to the run chats audience, but I really enjoyed this convo and I'm pretty sure you're all going to enjoy it too. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Hey, good morning, Laura. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this morning?
0: I am doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, man, you are a trooper for getting up this early in the morning in Arizona time. What time is it out there right now?
0: It's, well, 5.45.
1: Yeah, but we've we've been talking for a few minutes before, (laughs) and we're actually supposed to come out a half an hour earlier. So for everybody listening at home, we're going to give Laura a couple extra gold stars because... Um, had a last minute, um, cancellation for a guest last night. We all get crazy work stuff that comes up now and then, and she's been scheduled to come on and she was just so upset. And I just said, no worries, man, we'll, we'll move you to Thursday. And then you and I were supposed to record on Friday. So I was like, Hey, what do you think? And she's like, well, I'm taking my son to the lake tomorrow, but I'll come on at eight o'clock. And then before I went to bed, I was like, wait, eight o'clock. That's like five o'clock in the morning, Arizona time. So yeah. Yay for you, Laura. Way to be. Uh, we appreciate that. So um, how about taking a minute to just give a little intro to yourself, tell everybody about yourself, where you're from, what you do.
0: All right. So my name is Laura Swenson. I'm from Tucson, Arizona, born and raised out here, which is rare because we usually have transplants. A lot of you guys from New York are here. Um, you know, people from all over come down here, especially in the winter time to enjoy our mellow temperatures. So that's always nice. Um, let's see. I've, I'm married. I have three Kids, um, although two are technically adults, I've got a 23 year old, so similar to your son. Uh, I've got a 20 year old, and then I have an 11 year old that's going to be starting middle school at some point. You know, whether it's online or in person, we're still working on all those details out here in Arizona. So, um, I started working in the fitness industry when I was about uh, 20. Um, my friend started working in a gym. I was like you get paid to work out. Like, this is awesome. Like, sign me up, you know, I was working in the mall and, um, we were both in college. And so I started working there and then I was like, Hey, you know, like those people teaching classes were, I don't know. I mean, minimum wage back then was probably like three fifty. that I think the classes got paid $5. I was like, that's a jump. So, and then personal trainers probably made like eight fifty an hour. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous by today's standards, but, um, you know, I was like, Might as well make the most out of my time. So I um, was in college, got my personal training certification. I trained people while I was in college because it was a very flexible choice of work. I mean, I could just schedule it around my classes. I never had to give anything up. So I started doing that. And then after I graduated college, I actually got my first real job um, in fitness, just kind of because I was already in that business. And that was with, who we were talking about Pam Reed, um, who is an amazing ultra runner. And at that time, she was just a marathon runner, just. She was doing really amazing things. But um, we started working together. And I was really, really amazed by her because I didn't know people could do these things. I didn't know those things existed back then. I mean, we didn't have social media, we didn't have all these things. So started working in fitness. And then when I started to, you know, we have a family. So we started having kids. I just went like more part-time in the business. And again, it was a very flexible career choice for me. It was never what I intended. I was actually more in like communication and um, public relations. I was doing all of those things on the side too. Um, But I just loved fitness and it was something I could take my kids with me. You know, I could work early in the morning, come home, get them off to school. So it just kind of stayed in it. So it's been good.
1: Well, it's a a great fit for covid times um if you think about it in terms of flexibility um difficulty though of course with training facilities and rules and regulations with uh hygiene and cleanliness and all that how is that because i know arizona has been a real hot spot um Mm -hmm. state of late and new york and new jersey and and, um you know connecticut boston the east coast states were incredibly hard particularly new york new jersey where i'm from were unbelievably hard hit early, but we've done a really good job of getting things back under control. And Arizona and California and Florida and Texas and some of the other states are going more or less the ways that we were. So how is that affecting you and your own training business or being able to use facilities and whatnot right now?
0: We shut down gyms and a lot of businesses back in March when really New York was being hit. We had two cases in our county, and I was kind of going, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, this was in March and I know people go back and forth, like we should have shut everything down and this, that, but honestly, I was like two cases, like, you know, it sounded like just a flu, like what, what's the deal? You know, and I was actually traveling, came home, everything shut down, I had no work. So it was a little stressful. I mean, I do some work online, but I mean, the. I have people that come from Colorado to train with me and other states like they, you know, cause they go back and forth to some, like a lot of people have a second home here. And, um, so I enjoy people one-on-one. I like, I mean, online is great, but when you train somebody in person, I mean, I've had clients for 15 years that I've known or longer you know them, you know, their kids, they've seen me grow up, they knew me before kids, they know me now as a mom with kids out of, you know, leaving the nest. Um, It's a personal relationship. And um, I had a lot of clientele that was just one on one in person or or small group training, all of that's gone. So I have lost 1000s of dollars, 1000s. And so, you know, it's definitely made me even and plus, I'm not teaching any classes, I was teaching spinning and body conditioning and body pump all of that's gone. Gyms are back closed. We opened up for a short window in June and that's when our numbers shot up. So once again, governor closed everything down and this time he didn't give us an end date. It's going to be indefinitely until our numbers start to drop and then they're going to reevaluate it every two weeks. So, you know, it's, it's challenge, but I'm blessed in that my husband has a job. The, the silver lining on all this for me, there really is one. Like when COVID first hit, I have, I'm i not the type of person that takes like a day off. I, I don't really get sick. And if I'm a little sick, I would go teach anyway, or I'd maybe just back off on the running. Um, but I've always worked really early mornings to be home for my kids before they go to school. And then I would work when they were in school and I'd be done with work by the time they're out of school. That's what I've done for, you know, my oldest is 23 um, for a very long time. And so when COVID hit, we were on vacation, we came home and it was like the next morning I didn't have to wake up to teach. I slept in, I got like the deepest sleep and I was so rested like that, you know, cause I thought, okay, I got two week vacation here, right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to take, have a vacation at home and get things done that I've been putting off and whatever. And my daughter was, who's in college was with us on vacation. It was spring break. She never went back to school. So, I had two kids at home. And then my son, who was in school in Michigan, came home the next month. And he, we've had five in our household since March. So, for the youngest one, he's in heaven. He's got siblings home that are playing with him and do things with him. And, um, you know, there's not much to do. So, everything we can do together as a family is, is great. And it's such a blessing because I think with my kids 20 and 23, my older ones, when are we ever going to have this again? This could be it this is it. So it's a huge blessing in disguise. Um, you know, we all want the gift of more time when you're busy working and raising a family. It's exhausting. It is so exhausting. So for me, COVID has some very negative effects, but I feel like for a family, like for us, this has kind of been nice. It's it's just been nice to have the gift of time. And I don't know how long that'll last. Um, you know, and we're all still getting along pretty well. So that's good. (laughs) so and i've also been able to run more i was stressed out you know i'm the type of person where i've taken on more work more work can you teach this can you do this yes 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 can i volunteer yes i've never let anything go i've worked at the same places for 20 some years right so when this happened um i was at a point where i was like talking to my running friends my close running friends going i need to give something up like i'm signed up for these races i don't have time to train for them like i don't have it Day off to just go run out in the mountains. I didn't have that. COVID hit. We should have been, we were still socially distancing and doing the right thing. But I hit up my friends and the trails got really busy because everyone, it was beautiful out here in March, right? So we just started doing like some good peak bagging, you know, like let's go hit this trail, let's go hit that trail. And we go to places where the bases of these trails are busy, but where we're going, it's way up there, it's rugged, nobody zero people. So we were kind of, that was our escape. And so we just kept planning all these really fun runs. And I was training for two 50 Ks at the time. One got canceled. The other one did go. And I did go to the race, which sounds crazy, but I felt they did a fabulous job, but, um, it was so nice having the time to train for these races. And I tended to just go a little overboard. So I did get a little injured right before my ultra. Um, but I have no regrets.
1: That's great. Um, I'm gonna try to unpack some of those things because there's a bunch in there. Um first, <laughs> first, hello, Rem sleep. Um, you know, thank you. Yes, I get to actually yes. dream. Uh I didn't know what this was like. I had forgotten about that. So that was that was fun. And um I love your um outlook on the family time situation. Um, I hear and, and obviously the conversation is so different between all of us, um, whatever our own living circumstances are, you have uh, children coming home from college, or I think you said you had one in medical school and one in nursing school, and then you have one in middle middle school. So they're all kind of reunited and they've got an opportunity to interact, which is wonderful. But I also hear the other side of that, and I like to smack people's heads together sometimes and just give them some perspective. You know, like, hey, I'm holed up here in this 650 square foot apartment with my beautiful rescue dog. My son's off uh. at college. My mom has lymphoma for 30 years and is going to be 88 in September. God bless her. Mm. So like the idea of interacting with her or my other siblings and their families when they've been sequestered, because remember, where you guys are at now is where we were months ago. So literally, I mean, there was no interaction at all. It was me, a Zoom screen with either my work clients and healthcare technology. It was a Zoom screen doing a run chat conversation, which has been proved to be an amazing blessing for me cuz it's a way to stay connected with people. Mm-hmm. And I'm the ultimate social runner. You know, you've got the personality, I can sense it. So, you know, you can go out on the trails and go run. We talked before coming on about you doing a 20-mile run with a stranger and now you're now your besties cuz that's really the way it rolls. That's how runners are. You get out there and you connect, but I think I wish more people would try to take a look at it from your side. Now, of course, That viewpoint is remarkably different if the ages of the kids are much, much younger, maybe, and maybe the siblings aren't getting along. You know, you got a couple of brothers and sisters in a space where they're just getting on each other's nerves and they're fighting, and that's really hard to manage. So, I'm not saying it is not easy for anyone. And then also, I feel definitely. For parents who suddenly have um, not only become parents they've also become teachers as well and it's one thing if you're homeschooling like my one of my closest training partners and she had signed up for that and wanted to go down that path and and it researched it and puts her heart and soul into it so I talked to her recently when I saw her and her husband and their kids at their lake house like oh my god you guys are so far ahead of the curve on all this stuff because you've been doing this for years and they've got a a four and an eight-year-old so like in many senses, they were prepared for COVID before it ever came. Whereas other people are just like, hey man, I'm not cut out to be a teacher. And if anything, I just hope, because I have a deep soft spot and warm spot for me, for teachers and people who gave me love, when I was going through my educational years, um, they need to be paid more, man. They need to be respected more and appreciated more because they bring so much to the table in life. And they just are just not valued enough in our society. So there's my little piece piece on teachers, yes. my little shout out for uh, my dear friend Darcy, who was on the show um, teaching kids with learning disabilities and dyslexia and, and teaching them to read and doing all the great stuff. She was on the show a couple episodes back down in Texas, and anybody, anybody in the teaching profession, because any parent out there right now would be, gladly sign on and say, hey... Please take my kids back in school. And, you know, because that's what we all want, right? We want whatever our routine was. And it doesn't matter what it was, right? You're the early riser. And part of that is obviously working in personal training and fitness. Almost everybody I know who's going to do hard workouts, you know, whether they're the CEO of a huge company or they're just starting out, they're just going from college, they want to get that work done very first thing in the morning, whether it's a gym session, weights. A run, a ride, whatever. If they get it done then, then they have the day to themselves and they can focus on everything else. And and I'm the opposite. And I'm like, I don't want to, I just want to roll out of bed, Laura. I wanna, you know, let the world come to me, go walk my dog, like chill. And then I'll be like, okay, well, it's already 98 degrees. All right, maybe I won't run at 12 o'clock. Maybe I'll run a little bit later and you know, like one of those deals. So um I think that your perspective on all of the family stuff in COVID was great. Now let's come back over a little bit to the running because you also mentioned that. So you got to do an actual race. Tell I us. Did. Tell Isn't us. Isn't that crazy? Yes. I no, it's not yeah. crazy. I love it. I absolutely love it. And there have been because I'm following very very closely. Uh, I know in West Virginia, I've got um, some folks on a on a running team, uh, O'Leary Racing Team that I'm part of. That for some reason there. And I don't know specifically why, but they've been able to pull off some races down there. I know in D.C., Northern Virginia, very small, um, socially distanced races, like miles and different things. But they, there have been some race directors who've been willing to go out there and, you know, take a little bit of a risk. But and then also put responsibilities on anybody who's going to be involved, whether it's for fluids or how you start and finish and all the other stuff. And so, tell us about your experience with that. I'm, I'm excited to hear about it.
0: Yeah, so well, I was training for one in Texas that did get cha- um, canceled, which I was bummed because I've never run in Texas, and I was super excited. So that one was gone, and then I was waiting to hear about my race in Utah. I was in Bryce Canyon through um, vacation races, ultra adventures.
1: Yeah, my friend was signed up for that. That one got canceled too, right?
0: No. Oh, the Bryce Canyon. Oh, okay, Bryce, the Bryce Canyon. Bryce Canyon. A, okay. went. Mm-hmm. So well, they they gave they. I thought they did a great job. Now I have to say that a. Lot of the running community um, had some angry words about the company, like they were just doing it for the money. They didn't care about people's safety and everything. And still, so that race was at the end of May. So we had shut down in March. And so our numbers were like still growing, but kind of leveled off for a while until we actually had that reopening. And then people were just were really careless. But, and yeah, and you're tired of being quarantined. So people were just. Going crazy, so this was back in like end of April, and I was almost afraid to tell people like in some of the running community because they were just like hating on this company, like they're just doing it for the money. And I, they had a live Facebook, you know, little like information chat, like this is what we're doing, this is how we're going to keep you safe. They deferred, um, if you deferred to the next year, they cut any fees associated with that. I thought that was nice. They're like, we can't give you refunds which I totally understood as a business person, that money's already spent before race day. You've of course got is. permits, you've got yeah. food, you've got volunteers, you've got people awards. that you're paying in accounting, awards, T-shirts. I mean, I wasn't expecting it. And I think it's just as generous to say, hey, come back in 2021, 2022. Whenever you feel like you're ready. And they're like, look, we're going to put on the race. You don't have to come to the race. If you don't want to race, don't race. Like, you know, and there were some people from Canada going, we can't even come into the U S there's no way we can fly to, you know, somewhere near that race and then fly home. It wasn't possible for some people internationally, totally understood. I just had to hop in my car and drive a really long way. So, and originally like my mom, my mom's 86, amazing woman. I, like, I listened to you talk about your mom on your podcast and I'm like, totally there with my mom. I love her. She's my inspiration. Six kids. I'm the youngest of six. So this woman is again, tough, you know? So, um, she has come, she was with me. She was at my first marathon at the finish. She was there at my first ultra. She slept in a tent in the middle of an, and you know, the Hopi reservation out in the middle of like, it's just a field, she slept in that tent with my two kids so that I could go run the race and hung out with them until I came across the finish line. Amazing woman. So, um, she was supposed to come with me and see Bryce Canyon and do all this trips. So, you know, I always invite whoever the more the merrier. If you can sit in my car, come in here. If my sisters want to drive up, come meet me, you know, whatever. I wasn't going to take her to Utah. I mean, it just wasn't the right time to for her to be traveling. I would, you know, back then, you know, we were just like wiping down surfaces and doorknobs. And it was that, type of, you know, scared feeling still. So I was like, well, you know, I can just go by myself with no big deal. And my son had come home from Michigan. He would have never been home in at the end of May. He wasn't going to come home until the summer, like mid June. And I was like, you can, you're doing all your work online. Do you want to just, do you want to drive up there with me and do a little road trip? You know, like, I don't know if that's cool or not. <laughs> and um, he decided to go. And so what ended up Bean was just the two of us on a road trip, which we really haven't done. And again, it's like, what a gift. You know, that would never have happened if it weren't for COVID, if he weren't studying online. So we kind of broke up the road trip so that he would have the morning to do his school. And then we would hit the road. So we drove up. We stayed in Sedona, Arizona, which is beautiful. We did a great little hike the evening before sunset, grabbed dinner, and then He had no, he was wearing flip-flops the next morning. I'm pulling off the road, like on this road trip. We're gonna go and see a volcanic crater. And we went over to see some ruins on the side of the road. And he's like wearing flip-flops. He's like, I had no idea like what you thought we're gonna be sitting in a car all day, you know? And we had an interesting road trip. It felt like it was the long way there. I may have missed a road, but it was a dirt road. I don't think I was supposed to take. I don't know. We ended up getting there. Everything worked out great. And I had the best time with him. It was like priceless. So the race went off. They did a fantastic job. It was drive through, pick up your bib. So you never get out of your car. People are wearing gloves, masks. They're just, what number are you? Here's your thing. See you in the morning. Drove out of there. Um, we stayed just outside of Bryce Canyon, gorgeous area. Uh staggered starts so they started with the longest distances like the 100 miles 50 miles I did the 100 what did I do? I did the 60k Um, so they just kind of broke it down you had an hour start time for each group which they said they probably didn't need like they could have probably done 30 minute increments because everyone wants to start when it's time to start 7 o'clock start time I'm going to start at 7 I'm going to start at 745 unless I was running late you know so they had a staggered start what I did do, because I was a little nervous, I mean, you have people at the aid stations that are seeing all these runners come through and touching things and whatever. I don't know where these people that are volunteering are from. So I carried a lot more in my pack for that race. I would usually run pretty light.
1: Did you use a different? Um, did you use a different pack?
0: Um, I have a few packs, and so I have like a smaller one that I would use for a race day. I usually don't run with the bladder filled. I usually just run with a bottle because a lot of times they're, um, cupless events out, you know, and these ultras. Yeah. So I filled up the bladder with maybe like a liter, liter and a half, which is heavy when you're thinking about going out a race. So, um, I miss, I skipped the first two aid stations, like just don't need them, have my own food. I've got water. I'm good. I'm not gonna, and then by that, Third one, I was totally out of water. <laughs> I was dying.
1: Whoa. I
0: was like, okay, I need water. You know, you fill up a little bit because I, what I did was I didn't refill the bladder. I was just going to go on a 20 ounce water bottle. And um, it was tough. It was a hot day. It was about the race was high elevation, so 8,000 feet.
1: I was just going to ask you 8,000 yeah. feet. Peeps, that is serious business. If you, for anybody listening, who maybe hasn't explored ultra yet, man, I'm going to give you a major pitch for that. And Laura's going to bring it home. But, um, 8,000 <laughs> feet, if you haven't run at that altitude, I can tell you right now, it is, it is a big time game changer. Um, just going to give you a very, very quick little story. And then we're going to bring it right back to your race. But, um, your road trip that you're describing with your son is so awesome, but my son's senior year before, He was captain of cross-country, and we're visiting schools, and we're out west in Stanford and going to all these different neat places that we're looking at. I just thought it'd be the coolest thing ever to go to Colorado and do some altitude running and just be (laughs) on the trails. And just, so we went to, you know, the most famous running place of all, which is Mags, you know, Magnolia Lane and Ran, where all the great Colorado teams have trained and raced for years. And, you know, one of my favorite running books ever is Running with the Buffaloes, and that's, uh, you know, just reading those stories of them training there and hearing it all, I just thought it was cool. And he just destroyed me on run after run out there. He kicked my ass big time. But my one day where I had my moment was Mags because Mags is like 8,500 feet. And, you know, like we're not running to try to drop each other, but, you know, you're running at paces you're comfortable with and you're you're crushing 14, 16, 18-mile runs. And that was my day. I owned the day at Mags and he – Talk to me about. It. He goes. I don't know why. Because we were at sixty five hundred. All the other stuff didn't really bother him much. But that extra fifteen hundred or two thousand feet. So for everybody listening at home, man, running at eight thousand feet. I don't care if you're running like, you know, the slowest pace of your normal training run, and you're not lugging a liter and a half of water and other stuff. Let me tell you something, man. That is tough. Okay, so. Segway back in, man, because I don't want people thinking like, oh, 8,000 feet, (laughs) no problem. Oh, yeah, 8,000 feet, hard (laughs) to run, hard to breathe, difficult. Everything is harder and you get dehydrated way faster. Okay. So fluids and fueling are key.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I I was like, you know, I'm going to be smart about it. I'm not going to touch those first two aid stations. I figure the less contact they have with runners, it's better for them, it's better for me, right? So I'm running along. And then I guess this year they had to change the course a little bit because private property had been sold which I didn't know this before the race. Um so it was a little longer than what i planned and you kind of, I, I I'm pretty much like just go with the flow. I'm not one of those people that knows exactly like at 37.5 is when the next aid station. I know it's 37 or somewhere around there and you and watches are different, of you course. know, whatever. So I just remember like I was out of everything and I, I was like 37.8, 37. 8, 37. I'm, like, where's the aid stage of finally, you know, come up out of it. So I was really thirsty by the, by like, halfway it's a good through thing you race. weren't
1: running with me. Cause I would have taken you on a wrong <sighs> turn and gone off the trail. And then you would have been like, Ron, what did you do? Sorry. I've done that. Yes. <laughs> I do yes. that. Like I have a
0: reputation for that. That's a whole nother story for me and people that follow me. Okay. Um, but, uh, so the course was very well laid out. It was just a little longer. And I, like I said, I, I don't memorize where the aid station should be. I just know I was really thirsty. And, you know, I know living out in the desert, we're just, mm, like 2,500 feet or no, what are we? Yeah, like 2,500 feet where I live. And, and the mountains here go up to about 8,000 feet. So I can get some training. in. if it were summertime, I use the heat to train for ele- elevation. So like I did um, the Leadville 50 miler. I ran in the heat. I did some elevation training just to try to get used to that feeling. Um, and
1: that course is a beast, right?
0: It was great. Le- I, it was heard, I heard, le- I heard, I le- le- heard,
1: I know it's spectacular, but I mean, I heard it's a beast though. Really and It's, right? it's
0: 10,000 feet. Yeah.
1: 10,000 yeah, feet. Oh, that's where
0: you start.
1: So oh, the
0: average, God. when I looked at my average uh, elevation for that race, it was about an average of 11,000. So oh, we started at 10,000 we peaked at 12. The 100-mile course goes up to 14,000. So they go a little bit higher than the 50-mile. It's a different course, but it was fun. But so I had some experience with it. I felt like, okay, if I could do Leadville 50, like I can do this Bryce Canyon, you know. It would have been about, what, 37, 37 and a half miles. No problem. It started us up on an uphill up to the 8,000 feet. I mean, it was tough. And then we came down. And what happened is we came down into this, like, Canyon. I'm from the desert. I'm from heat. It's already hot here, you know, by April, May. So I always wear long sleeves if it's not humid. And I know to just like, I'll, I'll keep a water bottle and I'll just use it to cool myself. Like that's my, how I get through those hot runs are. And if you don't wear clothing on your skin, it's actually hotter, especially when you're at higher elevation, people don't realize when they travel to Utah from wherever, California or whatever, they don't understand that when you're higher up, it sizzles your skin when it, it was about 90 degrees that day. So I we had this big long part of the course with about 7,000 feet hot, you know, um, dry and no shade because you're just down in this like desert area. And peep, I was passing, I probably passed a dozen people, you know, am my, aren't you hot? Your long sleeves. I'm like, Nope, <laughs> I'm good. And I know what I'm doing. And then that's when I was like, I need water, <laughs> but water. it was great. So, yeah, we hit. they just had like a big tank at whatever mile it was. I was like, oh, yes, it was awesome. So I thought the race would COVID well. COVID rules
1: go out the window at that point. It's like, if no, you don't give me do some water. No, but i have just be like, okay, you can touch me. You could do whatever you want. Just give me that jug of water, people. Get the fuck yes. out of my way. I need water. You can all touch me. Do whatever you want. But just give me the water and I'll be okay.
0: And honestly, you kind of forget. Like they had – um hand sanitizer at every aid station. I forgot to use it like on a couple of them. Sure, You know, you come in and you, and you just, you kind of touched me. and everything was pre-packaged. So there wasn't like scooping up some trail mix in your hand or touching the chips or the potatoes, like everything was pre-packaged. You had to grab it. Some of it was kind of like, I don't eat a lot when I, I do an ultra, I just eat what I need to eat. But um, I thought they did a great job. Everything was packaged. So no one had really touched what you're eating or whatever. Um, so I thought that was really good, but they did have hand sanitizer. I remember leaving an aid station going, Oh my gosh, I didn't use it. <laughs> Cause when do you ever use hand sanitizer on the trail? Like you just do your thing, you know, but at least those volunteers could use it. So I thought they did a phenomenal job. The volunteers were amazing, like just super fun, full of energy. I think everybody there wanted to be there. We wanted to do the race. We wanted to just have a little bit of normalcy. Like, let's just go run a race, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So everyone there, it was there that like, they were happy. They wanted to be there. We had a great day. It was pretty good weather the whole time. A little storm came in towards the end. I was already done, but it felt good. Cause it started to sprinkle a little bit and it was like, Oh, relief from the heat. But, um, I thought they did a great job. I did. Well, I got injured two weeks prior to that race. So I, for me, and like when I if I train um, you know, any type of athlete, especially for running, I'm like, it is so much better to go to a race under trained, but a hundred percent ready to go, even mentally. I mean, an ultra is very much mental. And um so I was starting to feel a little bit of IT band issue coming on, and it was two weeks out, and uh Rambling Runner had his virtual, you know, race series. Yes. Which I signed up for everything. Of course you and that did. Was, of course I did. And that weekend I had to do 26, I had to do a marathon. And I was going to do a 20, 25 mile run anyway. So I'm like, well it's perfect. So perfect. Let's do Matt's, let's
1: do virtual marathon. Let's do right. this.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I met my friends. We were doing there's a group here called the Tucson Trail Runners and they had organized um, a run. And um, it would have been about 18 and a half miles, maybe 5,000 feet of training. The peak of that mountain's at 9,000 feet. So it was the perfect training for me. I had to do it. I was a little concerned on the downhill sections because we do hit two peaks on this run. I did it. And the two friends that I was running with, one of them I've run with a long time. I've gotten her to do all kinds of crazy stuff running. Um, And she blames me 100% for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the three of us hit the second peak, 9,000 feet. There was a, there's a really great trail that's a little longer, but super runnable. It's just, and it's very exposed. It could be a little hotter. And then there's the shorter way down that's steeper. And that was the way we came up. And I said, I'm going to go down the short way because I need to get down. Like I'm hurting. And my friend's like, all right, should we stay with you? I said, absolutely not we've done this before. Yeah. You guys. And that and was the other guy that was with us. It was his first time up here running. And so he just moved here as well. He's new to Tucson. So I kind of took him under my wing, like, let's go do some trail runs. He's doing his first ultra very soon. It's been amazing to watch him progress as a runner and a trail runner. So I sent those two down the long way. I went down the short way. They still beat me. Every step hurt. For, I don't know, however many miles. I came down that mountain. Every step hurt, and I was like, "This is so bad." Then when I got to the flat area, I'm like, oh, "It doesn't hurt so bad." So I finished with about 16 miles. We all said goodbye, whatever. Thanks the thank the race director, you know, that was volunteering that day because it's out there all day. And um, so I drove home, and I went and ran 10 more miles flat. And my friends were like, are you nuts? (laughs) Like I had to do the marathon. I had broken up, but I was like, I just couldn't do any more mountain. Like I couldn't do it. So it was, I told madam, like, it's probably like the, I probably could get an award for the longest duration of running a marathon.
1: <laughs> Cuz I could you just left me, your watch running the whole time. You just
0: It took me all day. Yeah. No. You, you
1: hit the <laughs> you hit the lap button and just kept it running. Yes. That's right. I love it.
0: So, um, yeah, but I did it and then I knew that could have been a mistake or I could rec- like, who knows, you know. I did not know. Um, so I took 2 weeks and just ran very little. It hurt for a little bit for those 2 weeks but I had a fabulous race. I did fine. Um, it didn't hurt to the very end. There was, uh, I was running near a couple girls and you know, like I shouldn't have had race mentality that day because I was kind of injured. I just needed to finish. I'm older than these two girls. Like they're probably in their twenties, but, um, one of them was doing the 50 K. So I was like encouraging her and, um, to keep going. And then the other one was actually like, you know, doing the longer distance with me. And she passed me on that last aid station. She didn't stop. She kept running. And and I'd already passed her. And I was like, no, nope, nope. So I filled up my water bottle. I put it in there. It was a downhill dirt road. Now, this is when I thought the course was going to be 37 and a half miles, not 39.6 miles or whatever it was. Took off after I ran like a 730 down this dirt road chasing her down. And I passed her. I was like, okay. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm only like a mile or two from the finish. I'm not going to stop. I was engaging well a 50 K runner. <laughs> yeah. <it hurt. laughs> but then it started to hurt a little bit. And yep. I was like, Oh, because it was downhill. yeah, and It was fast and I should have known better. So, um, anyway, I finished, I was in one piece and I felt great the next day the, uh, you know, with the training, I was, really well prepared for that race. I was not sore the next day. Um, and even my injury wasn't that bad. So I knew I did okay, but then I kept running and of course it's still nagging me today, but I've, I've kind of injured it in two different ways since then. (laughs) So I'm hanging in there.
1: So we we just learned a lot from that, uh, from that little story. So we we know you may be the, uh, a little bit competitive, just a wee bit. Sometimes. Yeah, just the smallest little bit because, you know, somebody going by you on a COVID race, you know, not stopping at the aid station, that was her big mistake because that was yes. just like a big old flare, like, oh, no, I'm just going to go buy this chick and take her out. No, I don't think so. That's not really happening um yeah we got similar personalities because you know i'd be like telling myself yeah it's all good it's all good you know take some pictures and be like wait this dude just passed me oh no hold on a minute now all right we're gonna we're gonna hunt him down oh it's a downhill i i can cut it loose on the downhill you know as you fall end over end and you know crack your collarbone and do some damage but yeah that's it tells us a lot so um where did the competitiveness come from in you? I mean, I know you played sports and whatnot as a kid, but where do you think it comes from? Because I love to find out, you know, kind of the fire that feeds people. Like, where do you think it comes from?
0: Um, I don't think I'm that competitive. I'm really, I I feel like I'm more like really supportive. Mm
1: -hmm. And if I get
0: passed or someone else wins or whatever, especially as I've gotten older, I mean, maybe if you ask me that, 15 years ago, I'd have a different answer as, as I get older. I'm just like grateful to be out there and doing it and competing with these two girls that are probably in their twenties, you know, <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but, um, I think I always wanted to keep up. I'm the youngest of six kids. I had two older brothers that were super athletic and played football. They really wanted me to be a boy. Um, my brother taught me to throw football before a regular ball. And I said, why oh, is this, this is hard? And he said, exactly. You know, you learn to catch the hard one first. So, no one, you know, I, and when you're the youngest, you just want to be like them. You want to be doing everything that they're doing. And, um, you know, my sister, one of my sisters was a runner. They all dabbled in running at one point. Um, she was a runner and I used to beg her to go running with her. I used to beg her. I was like a dog. She would leave. I'd sit at the window yeah. and watch her go over the hills <laughs> until she came back. And I would, and I would tell her, I, I, I can keep up. I won't stop. I mean, it's was really young. There's no way, um, and she'd be like, no, no, I'll be home in a little bit. She was probably, you know, this would have been in the 70s, maybe early 80s when the jogging boom kind of started. She was probably totally marathon shape. She just didn't know it because there weren't really marathons um, to race back then. But she did all like the little 10Ks and everything. But her and her friend were, you know, no, no one had GPS. They used, she lived in Phoenix. So like every intersection was like a mile and she's like so we count however many intersections out and then come back and she's like i know we probably did 20 miles back then it's crazy
1: that's great so, that's yeah. great and also you know growing up in a bigger family i mean that those dynamics almost always shape us you know whether we're an only child or i'm one of 3 i'm the middle um, or if it's all boys or all girls, like all of those dynamics shape us. And, you know, if we have one sister or a brother who's an athlete, but yeah, I mean, the reason dogs can get away with this is cause they didn't have to beg and they didn't have to like go by the front door or they take your shoes or, you know, that's yes. what you needed to do to your sister to get her to like loop you in sooner. You didn't need to put the sad face on or, you know, cause pooches, man, they know, they know exactly what to do um, yep. to pull it off. And, you know, when I talk about competitiveness, I don't always, you know, most people take that contextually right away, like trying to beat the other person. I think it's more about fire and passion and drive. Um, You know, it's just, they're just all different adjectives. They all have their own little nuanced meanings, but really what it's about is not necessarily that you're like going to go elbow somebody and beat them. I mean, it's just about like, you're not going to stop, you know, you're going to keep going, man. It's like, you have this drive, you have this ambition. Um, And anybody that I've ever met in running in my life, particularly people who make the foray from like regular distance and marathon over into the ultra world, like it's just a different, um, it's a different community. It's a different space. And I'm excited to, to really kind of talk about some of those differences a little bit. I mean, one Mm -hmm. thing that, you know, when you talked about, um, in your experience with the race, so for people on the show, um, I've run, um, a 50 K no nutrition run an organized run with rogue running. Um, down in Austin, Texas, um, I actually flew. This was not a race. This was this was literally a virtual training group, the Rogue Renegades that I had um, gotten involved with. And um, Steve Sisson and Chris McClung were the two coaches of Rogue at the time and had a running podcast together. Um, they since have their own separate things going on. But, you know, their own athletes that they coached would regularly do like no nutrition runs and stretch them out during a marathon cycle to go to 50K at the longest. And of course, not everyone did the 50K, but the fact is they had water all the way. They did have none out there, you know, because look, hey, man, they don't want anybody to like die or get really sick or have a really bad experience. Because we all know, you know, when you start to stretch it out and go further, things happen to us. Sometimes it just doesn't go as well as we like. But, you know, me, I'm like up in New York going, uh, hey, can I come down for this? Like, well, you're going to fly down to run a 50k with us? That's not even a race. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to fly down. And they're like, okay. So they should have known at that point, just how completely off my rocker I was. But yes. it was literally like, I always encourage people to just like reach for big, stupid shit, crazy ass stuff. Because like I... Forged friendships and connections that day that are some of my strongest and most fun. And uh, Amanda was on my show. Um, She runs for the Rogue team. She wasn't in my virtual group, got to know her. She's been on the podcast. Darcy has been on the podcast, the teacher I was talking about earlier. She's Mm -hmm. from Texas. And once I mentioned to some of the people in the virtual group, you know, the Texas crew, they decided to, to go as well. So I wouldn't be the only, you know, virtual training person to show up. I would have, would have gone if none of them went anyway, but that was just like such an added bonus. So now we have to meet each other in person and go run around. And, you know, like I, Uh, nutrition is such an important piece. And that's, I'm going to get into that piece of how ultra and the aid stations are just so remarkable and so different. And what makes the community just like, just star level awesomeness. But that day, if you wanted to, you could have cheated, but you know, the huge water barrels everywhere and then none. But you know, as he got further and further in, just like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I only had coffee that morning, nothing, no cheating, all water and did great. I mean, I I was amazed because Austin's hilly. I mean, it was not an easy track. Now it wasn't a race. So when we came to the eight stations, you know, most of us were stopping our watches. You wouldn't do that if it was a real race, but we weren't in there long, you know, two minutes, a minute and a half, sometimes even less, and maybe a little bit longer at the very end. But, you know, we, we averaged under eight minute pace for 50 K really hilly. So we had a great run. And then we went out for this just awesome brunch and all got to know each other better. And like that, Was just the the quintessential thing. Like, do something that maybe doesn't make sense to everyone else. If I would have polled my friends and said, I'm going to fly to Austin to go run a 50K, like, they'd be like, what are you doing this for? And I'm like, it ended up being amazing. So it segues into, you know, aid stations and ultra and how the community are, because that was my first time. I'd run probably 50K on trail runs and you know you talked about before with um, her running to intersections. I mean, hey, when I started running in my mid 30s, we had like Ironman Timex watches. We didn't have any GPS. We had lap buttons. We had no idea. I mean, I'd probably done a multitude of 5-hour runs that could have been way longer because I was way fitter then and I was able to run a marathon at a little little over 6 minute pace. So, like you don't even know at that point. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? But my first real foray into uh, doing an ultra, there's a 50-miler up in Ithaca, New York, and it's about 12,000 feet of elevation. And it is, uh, you know, it's it, it, Ithaca's motto or uh, for the community is Ithaca is gorgeous, but it's gorgeous, G-O-R-G-E-S, because uh-huh, there are just uh-huh. waterfalls and cliffs, and oh. it looks like you were, sh- you know... On the film set of Lord of the Rings. That's really what Ah. it looks like. The cliffs and the rocks and the stone walls where Frodo and them are all going with the one ring. Yep, Um, And I was like, oh my God, I have, you know, this is cool. So um, my friend Kate uh, Powerty, who won the JFK 50 miler and um, beat two Western States winners, you know, I had just run the first three majors of the six Abbott majors in the year and Mm -hmm. run really Mm -hmm. well. And have zero prep for an ultra. Zero. Like, literally, I'm just running, you know, the mar- three marathons in 48 days. And I did two hard halves in there as well. So, I did two, like, 128 halves mixed in along with the three marathons where I averaged, like, 314 or 315 for the first three. And I, I said to her, Kate, I'd signed up for this thing. What do you think I should do? She goes, she goes, you got to do this thing. Or you can't <sighs> you can't not run it. I go, Kate, I'm not ready to run a 50-mile race with 12. She goes, I don't want to hear any excuses. Don't you be a pansy ass. Get your ass up there and run. And she's don't even try telling me any stories that you didn't finish this race. Don't call me. Oh. Don't talk to me. No more training runs ever. Like, I'll, it'll be over. She goes, unless they drag you off that mountain and you've got, like, broken body parts, you're finishing the race. So that's my... And I said, but I'm, I'm not pretty... Just, you know what? Too bad. You don't need to be prepared. Just show up and do the run. And I got to tell you that I... Every single mistake that you could possibly make, running your first ultra, like I'm drinking Morton, like I'm doing a marathon, like I'm drinking Morton, like, okay, I'll just drink Morton. I'm fine. I don't need anything else. Don't need any gels. Don't need any salt tablets. It's a hot day. And I meet this guy, Tim, who's uh, like army ranger school guy. One of those ones who teaches like GPS with like land maps and stuff. Awesome guy. Super fun. And you know we're running and I don't know if he was following someone else or we were following someone else. I have no idea. I just know he was the one that I was talking to the most but we <laughs> went off course. You know, cuz the um, flags. I mean, I I'm just a I running know. a road race. So I we make a long yeah. turn. You don't know. It's we're running around, other people are running around. Well, we got so far, of course, I mean, by the time we got back to the main trail, we are probably working an hour behind the main field, right? Now, at this point in your first ultra, most people will just be like, I'm pulling the ripcord. I'm punting on this shit. And I'm talking to this guy next to me who's easily 20 years younger than me more. I'm like, hey, man, dude, we're finishing this thing. We didn't sign up to <laughs> run 25 or 28 or 30. We're finishing. And we get back to where the loop, it's a, it's a marathon and a 50 miler, same day. Okay. So your start groups go off differently. We get back to the area. The race director stops us and he goes, no, guys, you're you're too far behind. It's going to get dark out oh. there. It won't be safe. I mean, again, these are waterfalls, cliffs. And I look at him like, oh, dude, you don't understand, man. I came here, man. I gave my word to my training partner. I'll lose my man card forever now. I said- and, and he goes, wait are you the one that they've been saying that's been telling these funny stories to every aid station making fun of yourself because you were only drinking more they go yep that would be me that's the idiot guy who has no idea so I literally made fun of myself at every station and these people like adopted me they like love me they would like when I would come to like hey it's that guy again come over here come on and you know they're explaining to me about salt tablets and all this other stuff and you know they got me going I mean I was at a point where, every part of my body was cramping going up these cliff wall stairs. Like, I mean, I mean, my forearms were cramping, Laura. Like, my toes were cramping. My back was cramping. Like, how could you cramp in these spots? Well, yeah, you can cramp in any spot if you have, like, complete depletion of electrolytes. And, you know, imbecile Ron, idiot Ron, you know, has no idea on the planning. But where I'm going, and it took me, like, 100 years to get there, is these people at the aid stations, like... I have never had a more unbelievable experience in my life. I mean, I got their names. I found them on Instagram. I communicated with them after the race. I wrote to the race director. I just told them that, I mean, if I never, ever did another event, if I never, ever did another race, that it was the experience of a lifetime. Because, you know, like at the end, my friend Tim couldn't go on. So he had an injury. Mm. His knee was bothering him and he had to stay in my new friend, I should say, we didn't, yes. we met each other that day, right? You know what it's like. Yeah. And I'm out there in the dark. I'm so far behind everyone. The only people I'm seeing are people going the other way that are finishing. So everything is sitting there telling you like, stop, what are you doing? You know what? I know you know where I'm coming from. And, and that's why I want to make my pitch to anybody at home who hasn't done an ultra. Like every single fiber of my body was like, are you nuts? What are you doing? Like I'm crushed. But you talked about your mom, and I love that connection you have with her. That's my mom. My mom's motto in life, she had lymphoma for 30 years. She worked till she was 87, 45 years at the same company. Her motto is put one foot in front of the other. And I'd say to her mom, how do you go to these lymphoma treatments and then go to work and like use your personal time and then drive home? And she's like, you know what? It beats the alternative. You put one foot in front of the other, and you just... Get out the door and you go do what you got to do. And like, that's how she's lived her whole life. And like, I'm out there. I started like singing it to myself. Okay. I'm not talking about in my own head, I mean out loud. I'm tripping over tree roots and falling flat on my face. I'm bleeding all over the place. But I knew at some point I was going to come up on those amazing humans again in an aid station. And these people adopted me. Why? Because I was willing to make fun of myself and point out that I'm an idiot. And, you know, they just wanted to help me, man. They're making snow cones for me and they're giving me jelly beans and, um, I just, I don't know if I've ever had a fonder, like more endearing experience. So, um, That's awesome. I just think that for anybody listening at home, you know, this is your world. You've, you know, really, this is where you race all the time. Um, you know, I'm sure you probably have at least one or more stories that you could relate, but, um, talk a little bit about your feelings of running, let's say marathons versus doing ultras and being on the trail and how you feel it's different.
0: Um, it is a very different culture. I think like when you line up to a marathon, every second counts, people are there for Boston qualifying times. They're very serious, very focused. Nutrition has to be dialed in. There's no like, Oh look, jelly beans. You know, I mean, it's going to be typically more dialed in. Um, and and people aren't messing around unless you're way back there. Those people are having fun, you know. I'm a mid packer, so I have fun. And but I still want to do well and qualify for Boston. And I've run Boston five times. I mean, that was important to me at a you know at a certain time in my life. Um, but I had done. I did my first marathon in 2001, and I just never stopped. I did another one six months later. I did another one six months later because I thought oh, if I could just maintain this. I mean, this was pre-social media that I I couldn't even tell you what a Boston qualifier was or the time that I needed. I had no idea. Um, And nor did I ever think I was capable of running fast enough to qualify for Boston either when I first started because I just wanted to finish. I wanted to start here and get across that finish line, get a medal and be a marathoner because I think that was at the end of the day, that's all that mattered. It didn't matter about my time or, or anything. And I enjoyed the training. I enjoyed the people. I, the people that I met through running those are like my best friends. We're still friends. We've been through so much together. Um, so many highs and lows in running and life. We're always there for each other. It's been amazing. It's a great bond. Um, but I did, um, I don't know how many marathons before I was age 40. And I was looking for a fall marathon and I was like, oh, I already did that one I Already did that one. I don't want to travel that far. Kids are in school. Like, you know, and so a friend of mine, who, um, his wife at the time was, uh, Navajo or no, maybe she's Apache, but anyway, she was, she had done this race up on this reservation and he's like, you'd love it. It's so your element. You would just do so well in this. And I was like, uh, over 26 miles, like 26 <laughs> miles is really hard. Like, I was like, I don't think I want to do 27 miles and, and yeah. how many miles, like what's a 50 K like that yeah. was 31, whatever, you know, and that's trail miles. I, I was not, re- I was, I was curious. I was curious about it. And I, I thought about it. I mean, I think I went to that website every single day. <laughs> like, just like, and I'd look at the pictures and I looked at the stairs and you run over these mesas and it was, each one was about a thousand feet up and down, up and down. It, And I was like, oh, that looks really hard. Like, I don't know. I don't know how people do this. And plus it was in the middle of nowhere. Like I, had, I, I lived in Arizona my whole life. I'm looking on a map going I've never been here. Like where is this place? And it was just in the middle of nowhere. I, I had no idea what I was getting for it. And I signed up for it. And he was thinking about going. He didn't go. So, um, I did, I don't camp really. <laughs> so, I, I had a friend Same. at the gym. <laughs> I had a friend at the gym that said, "You know, I bought this tent. It's like easy up big. It was like the Taj Mahal of tents. It was like, I don't know, eight people could fit in that thing or something. It was huge." And, um, he's like, you can borrow it. I've never, I've, I've, never really used it. And I was like, okay. And I said, you swear it's easy to put up. <laughs> he's like, absolutely. And I did it in my backyard and I got it to fit back in the bag. I was like, I'm ready. Nice. So I have, let's add three kids. My oldest didn't go, but my daughter came with me and my youngest came with me and my mom came with me to watch the kids. Right. And I was like, and I, I always make it a fun trip. Like it's not just about the race. We're gonna go off to this reservation. We're gonna I'm gonna do a race. Let's go see the Grand Canyon on the way back. I lived here 40 years of my life. I'd never really been to the Grand Canyon. Isn't that terrible? I mean, it's a, actually if you're from Arizona, you know it. We don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I always was curious about it. But I always wanted to like hike it or I don't want to go look at it. Yeah. But then I have the kids. They should look at it. You got to go to the Grand Canyon. You know kind of like when you live on Long Island, like all our family in Long Island, they never go to the city until we're there. And they're like, okay, I guess we're going to Manhattan because we never go to the city. Same kind of thing here in Arizona. So like, we'll do this. We'll stay at this hotel. It'll be a fun little road trip. Mom came with me. So here I come, like everyone, I didn't know this, but when you arrive at a trail, like people sleep in their cars, like these little mini pop-up tents, right? I come in with my big old (laughs) eight person tent. (laughs) I set it up. I think it was like camping. I was ready to like make a campfire. We're taking this place over,
1: baby. (laughs) Come party in our tent. Come on over. Drink some marshmallows.
0: And uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I bought one of those like Duraflame logs. Love it. Which really stink, but you know, (laughs) whatever. I don't know. I never used one of those. It's not the same as a real wood burning fire, but anyway, we did try to make some s'mores, make it fun for the kids, you know? And, um, it rained. So this guy next to me parks, he I don't know. He probably slept in his car, maybe a little tent. I don't even remember. And he said, you know, do you have a tarp for your tent? I was like, no, I checked the weather. It said it wasn't going to rain. And he goes, you know, we've summer rains monsoon season. Right. And you can see them build up all around the horizon and they come in and then you know, lightning, thunder, pelting rain. And I was like, I checked the weather. It wasn't going to rain. I'm like, we're fine. Totally fine. We don't have a tarp. We're going to be fine. It rained. All night. Oh
1: no! All
0: night. So I didn't get wet, but my daughter's um her sleeping bag was up against the side. Mm-hmm. It came down that side. She was sleeping in a puddle by the time she woke up. Yeah. It. So that section of the tent got really wet. It was so big. I was over here because I had to get out or first thing in the morning. So I wasn't there near there. The cool thing was, I thought, oh my gosh, to be a muddy mess. I've never run in the like. In Arizona, if, if you don't like the weather, you just wait a couple hours and it's going to be warmer. It's going to be cooler. It's yeah. going to be sunny. I, you don't have to run in terrible weather. And um, I thought, oh, I never really run in mud and rain, but it stopped raining. And the, the soil there was like sand. So it just soaked it up. It wasn't even muddy. It was a beautiful morning. I go out and I'm nervous as heck lining up. And um, my friend was there. Um, but he wasn't running, um, maybe one of his kids was doing the shorter run. So anyway, he saw me off and he was very proud of me because he talked me into it. And, um, we took off and I, it was like a homecoming to me. I grew up in the desert. I grew up running around the desert. I had neighbor boys. We built forts. We fought, we raced, we got in trouble. You run home as fast as you can, jumping over bushes, dodging cactus. That was, and we also have, I'm like a cowgirl. We have a ranch. My family has a long legacy of ranching. I grew up with cows and, you know, pastures and, and ranches and ranch people. So the second we took off, I was like running in this dirt and I just felt this emotion like childhood, you like connected. coming home. I connected instantly and I fell in love with the beauty and the people. So this race is called water is life. And it's true. Like the people that have persevered on this land without water, they can't have crops. They can't have life. I mean, it's truly is. In essence, for us in Arizona, if we don't have water, we don't have life. I mean, that's our biggest worry about conservation is, is having enough water for all the homes that we build and the people that want to move here, you know? So it just, I remember I, coming up and this woman had a water bottle and she was blessing me in Hopi, you know? And I was like, do I stop running? Do I keep, do I run through the blessing? I didn't even know what I was doing. And I just ran free. And then I realized there's no other women ahead of me. I was running with a pack of guys and being a marathon runner, my friends told me like, don't run the hills. You have to walk. You have to walk. And that, to me as a marathoner, that mentality didn't click. I was like, what do you mean walk? Like this is a race. <laughs> yeah. And I was looking at my marathon time thinking, okay, if it's like, if I have to run like six more miles, I should finish it this time. Yeah. I'm like, whatever. I, I had no idea, but um, I was running in it and it was out. And then at my back in a cer- certain section, and I realized there was no other women ahead of me. And the guy started congratulating me. and the people on the other side, Hey, give first email. Yay. And I was like, Ooh, I better keep this <laughs> up. <You know? laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be feeling in 10 more miles, but I got to keep going. And, um, so I followed the guys in front of me when they would walk, I would walk when they ran, I would run. And, and I just tried to keep their pace. Cause to me, they knew what they were doing. And, um, I finished first place. It was, so here my mom is like wasn't expecting she's like trying to get the camera out you know I'm coming across <laughs> it. it was amazing and they blessed me with water when I was done and they thanked me and and the women like in their tradition like the women are with the women so I had a woman blessing me and um uh, my prize was like this Hopi blanket it was beautiful and I was hooked I was like This was the most amazing experience. It still would freak me out to think about doing another one, but I was like, this was awesome and I'm really glad I did it. I literally crossed that finish line, packed up that ginormous tent, packed up my car. I don't know how, like, you know, when you go to repack something, I'm like, how did all this stuff fit? How did it come out of the car? But I'm packing it up. I'm kind of tired, kind of sore, but I have kids. Like there's no stopping. Yeah. Yeah my son, my son's wearing his Superman pajamas with cowboy boots. He never got dressed that day. And he's running around the (laughs) the desert with these other little res kids and kids that are their parents are racing. It was adorable. And I'm so glad I packed in the boots because it was very prickly, like all these little stickers and the weeds growing out there. And so I packed up the car, we drove to the Grand Canyon, went to a hotel and that was all in a day. Like just, okay, we're this is it. And my mom was such a trooper and we had such a great time. It was awesome. And I actually went back the next year, but what was serendipitous about that is I had talked about going to see the grand Canyon. And in my head, my sister, I think I had a sister or two that um, had hiked it a rim to rim. I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I don't know. And like, what do you need permits for? How do you even start running a rim to rim? Or I didn't even know you ran it at the time. Probably. I was like, how do you hike this thing? You know, what do you need to do? The guy next to me, uh, we, he, so we finished pretty much at the same time. I was actually ahead of him. And then I thought I couldn't, I, I according to my watch, I should have had a, like a little more distance. So I stopped. I'm like, do I go to the finish line? I don't want to get DQ'd. Like where like, is this really, we go down this road and we're done. And he zipped by me and finished because he had done the course before. So this is claim to fame that he beat me, but he was the one I was following the whole race. Cause when he walked, I walked, but anyway, he was doing a Grand Canyon the next month and we became Facebook friends. Right. And, um, I was like, so like, uh, I see you're doing this group and you know, like, could you just give me some information? Like, how do you organize this? How do you do this? he's like, well, you can't really organize runs technically because it's, you know, national park. Um, but you're welcome to come with us. And I was like, Whoa, that's like, how many miles? Like, I don't think I could do that. And he's like, judging by how you did that 50 K, you know, a couple days ago, like, he's like, you'd be fine. So I trained really hard. I was doing like two a day runs. I was going for a lot of elevation repeat just to get used to climbing more. And, um, I, like three weeks later, I did the grand Canyon rim trim rim to rim. And it was the best experience of my life. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. As soon as I stepped foot, everyone's like exhausted and so done with it. I was like thinking in my head, when can I do this again? I already knew, like, I'm going to be back. It was awesome.
1: Well, we got to stop there for a second, go back over a couple of these things because you go (laughs) and you win your first ultra, you win first place. So that's a
0: small race. I don't care. But I did come back the next year and win again. So I repeated it. (laughs) I can still
1: give you a clap. I (laughs) can still tell you how awesome that is. And, And what an experience to have your mom and your kids in the tent and literally, you know, more or less winging it, not really even know what you're doing. And you um, you did a great job like following along. That was just so yeah. smart because, yes, it goes against everything that our bodies tell us, our brains tell us. We're runners. We're marathon runners. Of course, it makes no sense to think about not running the hills. I was yeah. told the same thing with those crazy steps and my 50 miler. And that's why it's like 12,000 feet. Well, you know what? At first I thought I was gonna run them, and then I saw how steep they were, and I was like, no, I'm not running these. This is stupid. No one else is running them. And I'm glad I didn't. But you know, if I, you know, I tell that story to anyone who's willing to listen, you don't have a choice. You have to listen to it. <laughs> and anybody who downloads the podcast also has to listen to it. But um, I tell people all the time, we learn so much more from our mistakes than we learn from our successes in life. And mm-hmm. if I'd have gone out there on my first 50 miler and done all my nutrition perfectly and Everything was just magic and all. You know, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been a good day. I'm not saying I wouldn't have liked to have won my first one like you did, but I had such an amazing experience by having all of that stuff happen to me. By literally thinking, and yes, my friend matter it, Her opinion of me and how tough I am, very much like how I want my mom to think I'm the toughest and the strongest and the baddest ass because she is. Yeah, you better believe when she said to me, you better not come down off that mountain unless you're on a stretcher or whatever, you better run 50 miles. And... You know, the part I didn't even get to finish is the race was closed. Like he told me, I'll let you go back out there under one condition because you've been so great and you made everybody laugh. Because you gotta promise me when they turn you around, you're gonna turn around. And I said, I absolutely promise you I will make no trouble for anyone. I don't know where I'm going anyway. When they tell me to turn around, I'll turn around. And Laura, when I got back to where the race was supposed to finish, I was at 42 miles. Guess what I did? Oh I ran around the campsites for eight more miles because I was not leaving that place. I think 50.75, 50.85. I crossed that finish line. I didn't get an official finish, of course, because I wasn't running the full course the whole way, but I ran 50.75 miles that day. I finished. I did what wow. I set out to do. But you had this completely different experience. You know, you get a chance to win, but. You know, you learned by like watching some other people that day, and they were your brain or the drive to say, I'll go up this hill. You just said, No, I'll back off a little and I'll do this. And, you know, so you had the other side of that and got that part right. And then also, of course, 50K versus 50 miles is a, you yes. know, significant difference, difference, as you know, because nutritionally, I probably would have been okay if that was a 50 K and also too. Mm -hmm. when you get that far lost and you know, this, you know, you go that far off the path and you're lost and everyone's gone. It really, it's hard. And if it happened Mm -hmm. late in the race, I'm not saying it would have been easy, but you still would have had a chance to officially finish and all, but it happened early. We were probably only 10, 10 miles in at that point. Um, but I, I don't look back on any of that. I'm, I'm amazed how many people see that stuff in their own lives or their own racing history. I look back and that is such an amazing, positive experience, not negative at all. And yeah, how the hell do you learn? You make a mistake. Uh, I know one thing, man. I didn't even know the first thing about salt tablets or anything else. And my friends who do Ironmans consistently or do 50 miles, or 100 miles, yeah, of course, they'd be like, what do you, of course you have to take salt tablets. Okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. (laughs) Next time, you know, sounds like a plan. Um, but you, you have this experience, you got your mom there, you got your kids there, you win the race, you meet these people and then that brings you in. Right. And now Mm -hmm. the FKT thing of, you know, going over to the grand Canyon, you get the call like, Hey, if you were that fast in the 50 K, you come here and do this with us. So, you know, what a great like entree into the sport. And then, you know, now you get this opportunity to go out there and run. So, so tell us, tell us about that. I mean, besides being, it's got to be just spectacularly beautiful. One would assume, um, I haven't never run out there, but, um, what was that like for you, you know, getting together with them and, and doing that for the first time?
0: It was nerve wracking. So, um, my first ultra was in October no, September. The, we did the Grand Canyon in October, which is like the perfect time to go. And yes, you should come out here and do this. I'm in. Put it on your bucket list. I will.
1: I'm if coming. you flew out
0: in the middle of Texas, you can fly out to the, you know, Vegas and come down. If they'll Let's let me on it. a
1: plane, trust me, I'll go. I mean,
0: okay. Okay. Um, so it was, you know, I'm, like I said, I was pretty picky about running. I didn't run in super cold, didn't run in rain, or whatever. And Grand Canyon, the rim sits at about 7,000 feet where we were starting on the South Rim. So the temperatures are really cold. And I was really nervous about, I thought I looked at those rim temperatures and I thought I'm going to freeze. It's like not even 30 degrees. Like, how do you, like, how do I run this long? I didn't realize the second you drop into the Canyon, it's warm, you know, and you're lower going in lower elevation, it gets hotter. But, um, I was a little nervous about it. Uh, I was afraid of being the last one. I was afraid of not being able to catch, you know, like stay caught up with the group. Um, Trying to learn about more calorie intake, like for I, I like it. the Grand Canyon. It's less than fifty miles, but I treat it like a fifty miler. And actually, it's probably harder than a lot of races because of the elevation. I mean, you're dropping down so many feet, you're climbing up, you're dropping down, you're coming back up. So, I was really um, nervous. But so the person that I ran it with, he was a he's like a running coach, and he started all these Grand Canyon groups on Facebook, like Grand Canyon Rim to Rim Run, Grand Canyon Hikers. He organized all this information online for people that are, because when you do it back, this is 2013, people had questions. I had questions. I didn't know where to start, you know? So he was, he became this really big, um, online resource right around the time that we did this race. Cause so many people wanted to do it and they wanted it with him, but how many times can you do it? You know, you can't take every group out there. So he put all that information out there and available to other people. And he's very, very knowledgeable. And so I just listened to his advice, like take this much food. Don't take all salty stuff, take some like our sweet stuff, bring some salty stuff, bring savory, mix it up. Cause you're going to so sick of sugar. And he was so right about it, but you know, there's water all along, you know, but sometimes the pipes break. So you have to be prepared to carry extra in case there's, you have to mix, like miss a water station and keep going. Um, I loved it. I loved the adventure of. I mean, you know, we probably started at four in the morning. I went with a group. I didn't know anybody. I barely knew him. I met him a month ago, you know. And we had a group of two other ladies from my area in Tucson that I didn't know, and a guy from California. I don't know where the other guy was from. I didn't know these people. And basically, one of the husbands of one of the women drove us in a minivan to this trailhead and just. He took a picture of us as a group. Off we went into the darkness. I've never run in downhill that darkness. And it's crazy because that trail is very steep. We went down um, South Kaibab. It's crazy steep and it's all switchbacked. back. But we were running it in the dark, so I didn't have fear because I didn't know that I was next to a cliff that dropped down hundreds of feet oh, right Oh shit! later i i look I've, <laughs> I've seen this trail since then in daylight and i'd look at it in awe oh
1: god going, if
0: i had known I, yeah. would, I mean i was zipping down running downhill i mean just booking it you know keeping up with the group like feeling like i can be like these ultra runners because all of them had done ultras
1: <laughs> i gotta hang with them yes
0: <laughs> and uh, i see i've since seen that trail and i'm like whoa. i don't know how, it's good that it was dark because i would have really been like whoa you know i mean one misstep, one trip, you could be in serious trouble. So, you know, I was so I remember we got to like the bottom, you know, like where the river is, Colorado River. And I was nervous and I was coming off being a little bit cold and I was just like totally shaking. Like quads were like quivering and it was partly because of the downhill effort and be nervous, like, okay, i only a few miles in 10 miles in, like I've still got a long way to go. And, um, but it was thrilling. It was, you know, exhilarating the unknown. Anytime you step foot into a Canyon of uh, a mountain onto a trail, it's so unknown. You don't know what li- wildlife you're going to encounter. You miss a turn. You don't know. You just, it's so, there's so much unknown, but it's kind of thrilling at the same time. And, to be able to step foot into that canyon, it was kind of going back to that ultra, like just being so connected. Like I didn't just look at the canyon; I'm in it. And I remember looking at all these, you know. I, of course, that month that I had to prepare for it, you know, I'm looking online, I'm listening, I'm watching YouTube videos of people that have posted their experience, and um, it looked amazing. And you know, I remember looking at the elevation chart, and it shows like it looks like a U. Yeah. Like you go down, yes. go across, you know, come up. So I figured like you go here from this rim you go down you come up and you go back down and it's not like that at all you go down and you basically are running through the canyon in the canyon and where you go up is nowhere near where you started i mean it's more like a diagonal line but on an elevation chart it's gonna look like a u so like i was like i didn't know we were gonna spend so much time deep in the canyon i thought we went to the river and we would i'm like is this the north rim and they're like oh we're not we haven't even reached the north rim yet i'm like Oh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, like you just go with it. And I remember like coming back out, I felt great. Like I learned a lot on that run because there were people that were injured or um, slowing down. And so the person that kind of roped me into it, his name's Benedict, he, um, he would put the slowest person up front, which I was like, really? Like I, if I were the slowest person, like I tried to keep up, he put me in front it's the best tactic. I recommend this to anyone that's on a trail in a group. If you have someone that's suffering, put them up front. You're you're only going to, if you're going to stick together, you're only as fast as that slowest person. And that was so mind boggling to them. Like this is an excellent strategy. (laughs) And we let him lead. And you know what, we put that person in the lead. They tend to go a little faster because they know that you're like trying to, you know, you're going to follow them. And, um, so mentally it was really awesome. And when we stepped out of that canyon, I was just like, let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and never mind the fact when I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, everything was sore. My muscles and my feet were sore. I had muscles sore that I didn't know I had muscles. Like my calves, usually you do a, a you know marathon and you're like, oh, my quads are sore. Yeah. Maybe my hamstring, maybe my back, maybe my shoulder. One thing is sore. Everything was sore. My shoulders were sore my quads were dying. My hamstrings hurt my calves. I don't think I could like move my feet because my calves were so sore from all that uphill. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then coming home the next day I was driving home and I spent, I don't know how many hours in the car and I got up to, you know, get gas. And I really had to go to the bathroom and I had to go into the gas station. So I'm like, I got out of my car and I'm like, I don't know if I can straighten up. We have all been there, right? Mm-hmm. We're all runners. We all know, yep. and like, okay, I'm, and, and then there's people looking at you, and you're like, or yeah. you already feel like they're looking at you. So I'm like, I'm just gonna act no, casual. No,
1: they are actually <laughs> are looking at you. I know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> so I get out of my car and I go into the gas station, and I've been to this gas station many times, and I know you walk in. The bathroom's on the left, so I'm trying to walk as like cool as possible, even though I can't feel my muscles, I can't feel my legs. I try to walk in like not hobbling, and I just automatically go to the left and I couldn't see the bathroom right away. And I'm like, Oh my God, they moved the bathroom. I'm going to have to walk further, you know, <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> never mind. I just did like 50 miles day before. And then there it was. And I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, that I'm like trying to walk all like normal back to my car. It was so funny. I was like, okay, probably get out and walk a little more, but I was so sore, but I, it's like, I was so excited, you know, the, oh, that that trumped the soreness. I was just excited that I did it. I was proud of myself for doing it totally stepping outside of my comfort zone, which ultra running makes you do. Yeah. You know, I think marathon training does too, but it's safer that you're in a road with people and a few spectators, unless you're doing New York, it's a million spectators, but you know, it was, it was really exhilarating to me and empowering. Um, and I have to say like that was in 2013 in that time I've done it eight times and I've done one other trail in the grand Canyon called Tonto trail. Um, in that time, I've seen the growth in ultra running like shift more to women. More women are into it. Like I felt like I was with a group of guys, mostly probably there was two women in that group. When I did the ultra, I was chasing guys. Like there weren't a lot of women in that race. And it's totally shifted. And I love when I go to the Grand Canyon. A, I've done it by myself. How lucky am I to live in a country where I can go run something like the Grand Canyon and be female and be safe and feel safe in a place like that? I think that's remarkable. But I've seen this Development of female groups going to run the canyon. And it makes my heart so happy because I think it's a great girl trip. It's great bonding. It's great exercise. It's outdoors. And how great that they feel safe to do this on their own and they don't need a man to lead them or a man to show them. You know what I mean? Like they're just doing this, making their own way. And I think as women, we take so much of that for granted. I mean, I was born in 1972. Like, women were not in the Olympics at that point, you know, they were barely getting into the Boston marathon yet my whole life. I've only known women runners. My sister ran, you know, all these things. Like I don't know it any other way, but there's certainly a lot of women that we have that had to push through those barriers for me to be able to do what I do now. And I think we take that for granted so much.
1: Yeah. I think, um, it's, the growth in ultra period is enormous, but you are so right in terms of women. Um, women are winning ultras outright, you know, with yeah. really competitive male fields. Or when my friend Kate won the JFK 50 miler and beat two Western States 100 winners, you know, there was a stoked male field that year as well. And she was, I don't know if she was sixth or eighth overall. I mean, she she crushed it. I mean, her last nine miles, she she ran sub seven, to close that race out. Cause she was so far behind and ran, ran the girl down. And, um, women are just crushing it in ultra and the really, really long stuff. I think the longer the races go and the more difficult they are, they do even better. Um, you know, you talked about Pam Reed being somebody you really, really looked up to, you know, she won bad water outright, you know, she didn't win the I women's know. race. She was on the
0: Tonight Show. She, she won,
1: <laughs> she won it outright, man. And, you know, it's stuff like that. It just, uh, it inspires the hell out of you. And I'm just that community for, you know, a lot more of my um, listeners of this show or followers of my own page or are more marathon runners by trade. Or I certainly have plenty of friends who are triathletes and I, I definitely have a, a, a smaller group that are that are more trail slash ultra runners, but I just know personally I'm gonna get way more involved in that because, yeah. you know it's just an opportunity to connect. Like I said to you, the word connect, and I could just see your face light up because we're on a, the screen together. We could see each other because yes, that's really what it is, man. If you're out there, you know that trip with Ronnie to Colorado, I'll never forget that as long as I live. I will never forget running out and just seeing the spectacular nature in these mountains. And like you said, rams and goats and steer and, and just you're on the land, man. It's just not mm-hmm. the same thing as running on the roads of Long Island, New Jersey, New York, or Tucson. It's just different in every single way. And there is something about smelling the trees and, and hearing a river run and, you know, just hearing the sounds of birds and other things that are going on. And yeah. It can get a little crazy if you get lost and you don't know where you oh, are. Yeah. yeah. You have to take it seriously. You have to be careful. Mm-hmm. And I always caution all my women friends or female friends. I'm glad that you feel comfortable doing that, but others who aren't comfortable, then they shouldn't, they shouldn't do it. Or certainly not without a group of people who know, you know, that you're out there and know a way to reach you and be able to get you if something, you know, were to happen because, Hey, Face it, you're running down a cliff at, you know, on the Grand Canyon in the pitch black. Like you said, you didn't even realize what it looked like. If you did, it might've freaked you out more. You know, you might not have run it as comfortably because you're following people and you want to stay in that group. So one thing I'll ask you for, um, post show, is, um, if you can just send me a list of n- essential stuff on the ultra side, like what kind of light do you run with lamp? Uh, yeah. you know, and t- you talked about, you know, salty, savory, different fueling stuff. Yeah. I know that there are plenty of people who are either maybe done a 50 K like me. I've done a 50 miler who might be thinking of, Hey, I'm going to try a hundred miler. I'm going to try something really out of my comfort zone. I think it'd be really, really helpful. I can put it into the show notes. I can put it into the write up, or, or just, tag it to a post with you about specifics. Yeah. I think like, I have
0: a blog post on like Grand Canyon essentials, perfect, like what I would recommend. Perfect. So I can link you up to that. That was my friend, Randy put it on her website. So um, I'm pretty sure I have something like that written up. Cause that, that I honestly get messages like, especially in the fall and the spring when people are getting ready to do these things. Summertime, it's pretty dead. It's too hot to yeah. do it. Um, so I just kind of like, I know what I need. And, and there's certain things that people don't think about. Like, um, which I learned. I mean, I didn't come. I've learned it through experience and from other runners who have taught me the way. But like, when you're doing the Grand Canyon, always have like two headlamps. And I'd be like, why do we need two? Makes total sense. When it's when it's dark out there, there's no so, like it is pitch black. Yeah. If you were to fall and drop your lamp your, or break it, you need a backup. If those batteries fall out, how are you gonna put the batteries back in in the pitch black? Like it makes sense. I mean nowadays we have more phones, right? Little things like that. We're always like, you know, back then we didn't really have the buffs, but we had bandanas, so we would always bring a bandana because if you're running like three or four people in a row, like coming down, it gets really dusty for the people on the back because if it hasn't rained, it's dusty. And so you don't wanna be breathing in all that dirt. So you can pull it up. Now we have buffs, and so you could take whichever one. And I've also had the bandanas come in handy, like someone's chest strap broke on their, you know, their pack. So we use the bandana to tie it together. I mean, just, we were serendipitous in that respect for having just the stuff we needed to fix things. But yeah, there are some essentials that you don't really think about that you're like, oh yeah. And I know that people they bring too much sugary stuff, and they're just like, oh, can I have some of your beef jerky? <laughs> yeah. can I have some of that? <laughs> can I have some pretzels because they're sick yeah. of it.
1: it's so important that you brought that up because and and again, go, I got to harp on the aid stations again. It's just remarkable. The amount of things that they have in there. I have a, if you can see over my shoulder, that's like my six star wall over there with all my medals uh-huh. are hanging in my pictures. And can you read the sign over there? That's my "Stay in the Fight" sign, and that's stay how in I the fight, that's yeah. how I sign off all my shows. You know, peace out, stay in the fight. And my um, my good running buddy Tim Schmidt made that sign for me, and he's getting mm. ready to do his first hundred miler. Um, <sighs> and his original race where he lived in Ohio canceled, and he's now trying to find an alternate. So I think. He has a race that, quote unquote, hasn't canceled yet for 100. So I know he's going to find this chat and that blog post extremely helpful because yeah. like, you need to know these things. It's like, okay, you need to eat something or ingest calories like every – if it's 15 minutes, which a lot of my friends use, some do 30 minutes. But a lot of them – They're using their watches that day, not necessarily to record the run distance, more so to, to beep, to remind them, I need to take some sort of fuel in because the thing with ultra that people don't realize is once you get behind, it's almost really close to impossible to really like make it up. Because mm-hmm. once all those cramps start to fire and all those things start to happen to you, you know, unless you're just going to like go lay down, you know, in your tent, you know, if you happen to be at like Western States or somewhere where you, um, you know, can have a crew and all that stuff and you can have people, well, yeah, you can change your shoes and you can change your socks and you could change your clothes and do all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, if your body's just a heap and pile of cramps until like things get restabilized or whatever, there's not, there's not that much you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, um, I think that stuff will be really, really helpful to read. And I also found it interesting what you talked about with the clothing piece, cause I've watched Western States and other stuff and wondered myself, these temperature changes are so yes. dramatic. I mean, I see Walmsley like take off and they're running through snow. That's like almost waist deep in Western. And then, you know, a couple of miles down the road, it's 105 degrees or something like that. Yes. And that's, I think the, something that there's no way the average marathoner grasped like how extreme these temperatures are. The, the You said it beautifully, like you're at elevation of eight, 9,000 feet. The sun is 10 times more stronger when it's beating mm-hmm. down on you up there. So those arm sleeves and all other stuff. Now I know in my own head, I like wearing arm sleeves anyway, but I've seen them pack those with ice and put ice in there. Well, That's why. I mean, it's protecting you from the sun, just blasting you. And if you dump water on it or ice, it can cool the skin quicker, I would assume, than just like chucking it on yourself, right?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially in a dry heat. So like Utah, where I did my race in May is a dry heat. So it worked beautifully to just stay wet and put the ice down the shirt and wherever. Um, I live in Tucson, Arizona, so... Most of the time, it's gonna be pretty dry here. Um, it doesn't work in humid like conditions. Like if I go to San Diego, California, or somewhere like that where there's more humidity, oh, I'm just I, I love Florida. <clears throat> I usually run just a sports bra because it's just, the humidity makes it a whole different thing. So, a few people probably live where it's as dry as it is out here. But I can go. You know, if I run when it's 100 degrees, so if I run like the path close to my house, there's a water fountain about every mile. I can wet my shirt, my arms, whatever I'm wearing, my hat. And by the next mile, I'm totally dry. Like, I mean, when it's 105, think about your dryer that you put your clothes in. Yes. You know, you got a little breeze. It's 105 outside. You're dry. It (laughs) just
1: completely evaporates. It just goes. Yes. Yeah, that's that's so, such a different dynamic. huge. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it is very different. But there are big te- temperature shifts. I mean, a lot of the races, because in Arizona, like they're going to be in the fall or in the spring. So you do have the cold mornings where it might be 30 degrees, maybe a little closer, colder than 30 or so. But you start in like the shorts because you know that by the end of the day, it's going to be about 80. You know, it's going to feel hotter and you're going to get hot while you're running. So you just, it's always good to start. Colder, and one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was dress for the second mile.
1: Ah! And I was like,
0: isn't that brilliant? Yeah, no, that's that is very brilliant. smart.
1: Very. I don't smart. even
0: remember who told me that, but they said dress for the second mile because you're always freezing when you start out, and you start, you know, in the winter time you have the gloves and the head wrap, and then by mile two you're like yeah. off put the head wrap. I'd probably the gloves. Yeah, you're warmed up. So it's better to start off cold. Think about what it's going to be like down the road, you know, mile two, mile three. And it's hard to do when you're really cold. It's really hard. You know, you step out your door and you don't want to feel that cold. So I struggle with that. I have, tend to overdress. But my first year doing Boston Marathon, it was um, 2007 when they had the Nor'easter. I'm from Arizona. I, did, I was like, what's a, north, a Northeaster? And they're like, <laughs> I didn't know what this was. I, I, it was the first time I'd ever been in sleet. I was like, oh, it's hailing. And they're like, no, it's a sleet. I was like, Oh, I've never been in sleep. This is really cool. Um, but they almost canceled it that year because it was raining endlessly. And, um, I remember we got to the start and I had a big coat on like a coat and my friends were like, you need to go put that in a drop bag, like go drop it off. I said my lips were blue and the rain was coming in sideways. And we we're standing in this muddy tent, you know, at the start line for Boston. And I'm like, I'm not putting my coat down. I am freezing cold. So I took off. I had long pants on. I had, I don't know how many shirts on plus the coat plus gloves. And right when we started running that year, it stopped. It stopped. And it was so hot and so humid, you know, and the air just becomes yeah. very still. I, oh, I was dying. So I, it was the only coat I had. I needed that after the race. So I had it tied around my waist. One of the shirts I was wearing was Pam Reed's. So I couldn't discard it. I had to give it back to her. And I suffered. I suffered. I was hot. I had to stop and go to the bathroom, which meant a porta potty. And, uh, you know, you have all this stuff on you. I was like, this is impossible. This is horrible. I My first Vasa Marathon I was so in shock by the the weather. I had never run in weather like that. I never had to. And I was so slow. My friends thought something had happened to me. They were all This was like before cell phones, you know? So, yeah. you know, they were like, how come she hasn't finished? How come she's not back at the hotel? And my mom was there at that race for sure. And, uh, you know, they were all like, is Laura come back yet? And whatever. I, I just suffered. And I, I was happy to finish. I was happy to get my medal. I, I didn't care less. To me, the hard work was... You know, when I coach people, like the hard work is getting into Boston. Once you're there, just have fun, enjoy the crowds, the community. It's they treat you like you're a rock star. You know, when you're there, it's pretty amazing. So I went in with that attitude. I wasn't worried about my time. I was happy that I survived. It was so hot, and then it got cold again, and it got hot. You know, it was very. I had never experienced anything like that. And then I ran it again the following year, and we. Had perfect weather. I think I ran in shorts. I mean, look at my first year's picture. I have a big yellow coat around my waist and long sleeves and I was smiling. I was happy. The next year I'm in shorts. I mean, that's just Boston for you. It's pretty amazing. But
1: well that year was bad but it wasn't anywhere near as bad as 2018. 2018. 2018.
0: I'm so glad I didn't do 2018, 2018 was insane. I'm
1: actually the opposite. I'm so glad I did. Oh, so uh, I don't no. mean like while I was out there suffering and getting hypothermia like everyone else but just but to be didn't. to be able to make it through and endure like yes. and I I feel worse for anybody who could. You know the elites I don't I don't feel bad for them because they you know look they they train their asses off. They work so incredibly hard. And they race and it's yeah. they, they don't earn anywhere near as much money as I think they should, but that's life, right? We we make money or we get paid in a sport or as entertainers if you're a, a movie star, an actor, whatever, whatever the hell somewhere along the way there's some sort of merit system for how much, you know, the top people make. Right. And so it is what it is. But, um, I just think like, I don't feel any bad for any of them. They drop out because a lot of times they decide, Hey, I'm not going to win anyway. And I'm going to run London, you know, in, in 60 days, or I'm going to run some other race. So it isn't like they can't Finish, or they couldn't finish. They just decide, hey, this is not in my best interest. Or in many cases, the a lot of the women that dropped out of the Olympic trials in their mind had already decided they were going to try to qualify for the ten thousand meters or something else. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, Mm -hmm. Tokyo literally just disappeared. Um, So for the age groupers like me and all the other ones that are out there, it's different, man. We don't go to Boston to say we're not going to finish, man. We're going to finish and. So my heart breaks for those people that just couldn't finish, you know, because they got taken off the course. Cause man, if I would have stopped at any point to walk in any one of those tents, they would never have let me go on because, Mm -hmm. you know, my body temp was like 91 point something or something crazy. Um, and I just was, you know, I couldn't put my glasses on top of my head. I couldn't see my gloves had fallen off everything. Just, you know, people don't understand. Well, where are your gloves? The well, wind. well, it's oh. easy when there's a 35 mile an hour wind hitting you in the face and you're trying to open a gel and your hands are shivering and you can't open it. So you take a glove off and then the wind blows 50 miles an hour and there goes your glove and there goes your hat. And you're like, you know, like you don't plan for this stuff to your point about having a second headlamp on the trail. Like, sorry, you're not supposed to be running into a 35 mile an hour. Win with like five hundred thousand inches of rain bashing you in the head, and your sneakers are squishing and squashing. Um, But you'll you'll never forget it. You remember it for the rest of your life, and um, to me, it'll always be one of my fondest memories to be part of that experience. So, um, this has been so fun talking about all your ultra experiences, and I hope a bunch of listeners from the show who who maybe have thought about trying an ultra or maybe even just a trail race. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people are going to hear, you know, the great enthusiasm and energy you've talked about, the sport today and how much you've gotten out of it and how interesting it is. And they'll they'll dip their toe in the water and take a chance. I so think so. I hope so. I'm I'm sure of it. I think your your energy and passion for it comes through. And I think it will definitely persuade some people to try. I know also, I think what people have to consider is that maybe the only alternatives for a while may be more spaced out, spread out trail races, you know, of course not Mm -hmm. single track ones because they may just be impossible to, you know, be able to put, put safely on. But I think, um, you know, it's an opportunity to try new stuff. It's work on, Whatever it is, you know, if you're bored with your running right now, then, you know, that's okay, you know, hit the gym. If you can't go to a gym, you can still work out. There's still things you can do. You can do exercises. Look, I rode a bike the other day for the first time in three or four years. I did a 32-mile bike ride. If you get in the pool, I mean, do a class. I mean, find something to do. But is there anything... You know, we covered a lot when I think a lot of really interesting stuff and we'll tee up your blog posts or anything like top of mind or important, or maybe something you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to before we, before we roll off here.
0: I think we pretty much covered it all. I mean, it's so fun to, any runner knows it's fun to talk about running with a fellow runner because we get each other, you know, so it's always a treat to do that. And that's why I think your podcast is named so appropriately with run chat because don't we all do that? Like we love it. It's so much fun. It's social. It's happy. You're happy to see people when you arrive to start a run or whatever, or a race, you know, to catch up with people. And, um, you know, I would encourage everyone to just, you know, this is for us, like right now, everything's shut down. It's a great time to go try something new, to go try a trail. Maybe you have more time like I do, um, during this time. And so you can go Do a longer trail run. Go to drive to a different place to run, and just meet up with a different group. And I really think nowadays people have it so easy because there's all these ways to connect. I mean, I met two women that I had never met in person at the Grand Canyon to run, and we had a fabulous day. You know, and then we all—they—it's funny because things happen so funny. But so we're there, and they were talking about doing this race in Leadville. You know, the Silver Rush Fifty. And I was like, I never even heard of that race, but it sounds cool. Like I've never been to Colorado to run, whatever. I got an entry into that race. And so I saw them again. It was like a reunion. It was so much fun. And so I think if you are whatever level of racing you are, you know, a beginner, I, back when I started running marathons, there weren't half marathons and stuff. I don't think I did. I probably did a 5K, and then I signed up for a marathon. I had no idea what I was doing for my first marathon. Like there just wasn't, you know, I I had to like lick the envelope and send it in for my registration. I mean, there wasn't anything online. Remember stamps?
1: Remember envelopes? Stamp, yes, that's right. I remember
0: putting it in the mailbox and just saying a prayer, like, okay, now it's out of my hands. Hope I'm signed up. I hope it gets there. I hope it gets. I'm really signed up for this marathon, and now I have to like tell everyone I'm running a marathon because I sent my money in with my check. <laughs>
1: And your number, and your number came in the mail and all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's come a long way and I think it's been great, but I think for people that are looking for community, it's the running group is just amazing. And, And I look at people that are supporting people like going through hard times or health issues, whatever, like the running community always steps up. They always step up. It's such a bond for people that you may or may not know. And like to meet total strangers and just go, because you're there for that sole purpose of running, it doesn't matter. Like you're not strangers anymore, you know? It's it's a really cool thing. And we're so, so lucky to have it. And I think from here, it's only gonna grow, you know, in, in bigger and better ways for people.
1: Yeah. Well, it's so well said. Um, you can see the entire running community rallying around uh, Tommy Rives and his beautiful yep. family. And, um, you know, that just makes me, it warms my heart. Um, to see how many people are tagging in and writing on the messages and running miles or biking or you know, and reaching out to the the various family members, and how, you know, just how um wonderful they've been about just opening up and sharing, you know the difficulties they're going through. So it just it warms your heart to see our running community shines in in the most uh, difficult of times. So mm-hmm. I just want to say how much fun I've had. Uh, getting to know you, having you on the show today, your energy and enthusiasm is infectious and fun. and I will really enjoy meeting you out there at a trail race somewhere because no okay. no doubt I will come wherever I'm told to show up, I just get there. Um, I'm not right. I'm not driving as far as you to get to a race, but I will I'll find a way. Yeah, and it'll be, it'll be super, super fun. And um, I know that uh, everybody listening today will really enjoy all the tips you've given us on ultra and training and fueling and all the other stuff. We'll tag it into your blog post. We'll make sure everybody knows how to hit you up on Instagram, and everything else. So um, I just want to say thank you because I've enjoyed the conversation so much. So thanks for getting up so early in Arizona thank time. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> And you know our signature sign-off, so we're just going to say peace out, everybody, and always remember stay to fight. stay in the fight. <laughs> okay. Thank That's you, right. Thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate it. Grand Canyon it.
0: has your name on it. You got to come.
1: I'm coming. It's got your name
0: on it. You and know, you, don't have to slip, you don't have to sleep in a tent.
1: I've, I've, There's hotels. Now, now I'm sold. <laughs> I'm totally sold. All right. <laughs> Sounds thank, good. Thank you so much. Wow, that was so much fun. I really enjoyed Laura's personality, her energy, and just her overall enthusiasm for life dealing with COVID, um, the changes that's brought about in Arizona, um, how it's affected the industry, having her uh, different age children home. just uh, She just brings such a positive attitude to it all. And uh, I just enjoyed that and found it quite refreshing um, because it's uh, the stress of it all has hit us all in so many different ways. And it just really... Uh, made me happy to see somebody having a positive outlook for um, the opportunity for her family to reconnect, you know, because of COVID and, um, you know, just trying to maximize that and get all out of it that she could. And uh, I just really treasured her running stories of being out there at these ultras with her mom and her children, setting up tents, uh, making s'mores, bringing flame logs, just all super fun stuff. Um, and I think, um, for any of the run chats listeners who are thinking about dipping their toe in the ultra waters, uh, my advice to you is that may be the only place for us to get some actual races in over the next year to two years, um, given the COVID environment. So by all means, uh, dig in, do your research, figure out, uh, where races can be held safely. Um, and if you have the ability to travel and get there, and you want to take on some new adventures, I can just say how much of a wonderful experience it was for me in my one actual 50 mile ultra that I did just, uh, couldn't have a higher opinion of the aid station folks and the race organizers and just the, um, also the, just the energy level of competitors, all willing to help each other out out there on the trail is just a unique experience and one that I can highly endorse. So I know Laura has convinced me to come out there to, um, visit in October for a little, uh, Grand Canyon rim to rim action. So I better best make sure I'm in shape. Um, and I, again, as I mentioned on the first, uh, intro, um, I will link up to her blog. Um, she's got a number of different posts on what sort of equipment you might need to take on adventures like this, um, from headlights, backpacks, um, fueling um, types of fuels, drinks, food, et cetera, all extremely useful. And definitely um, you should all um, give her a follow. All of that will be in the show notes and um, just enjoyed this episode immensely. So I just want to say, I hope you all enjoy it as much. And if you do, um, and you could take a moment to write a positive review on Apple Podcasts, that will really help us Uh, find some more um, subscribers to the show and to our podcast, which would be wonderful. And more people can hear great stories from uh, runners like Laura. that are doing wonderful things. So um, if you can do that for us, that would be a big help. And I appreciate everybody being part of the show. Um, I enjoy all of you being part of the run chats experience. And I thank you for each and everyone who um, shares Instagram stories on the pods and just writes comments on the posts and whatever, in terms of uh, sharing feedback. We appreciate it very much. It means a lot to us. So thank you all so much for being part of it. Laura, you were an awesome guest. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime in October, doing a little rim to rim action together. That's gonna be an absolute blast. And uh, at this point, just wanna say to everybody, keep lacing them up, keep getting out that door. Peace out everybody. And always remember to stay in the fight. God bless.